right? Or one really high performing seller, right? Asked, she said, we develop, we show them all of our capabilities. And then I say, and if I could wave a magic wand and you had this in six to 12 months, what problems would it solve for you? Welcome to Pipelineology, the business to business podcast for agencies, consultants, coaches, and businesses looking to build a pipeline of hot prospects ready to buy their products and services. Never wonder where your next client is coming from. To learn more about our strategies, services, and for resources on building your sales pipeline, visit Pipelineology.com. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Pipelineology podcast. Today, I am pleased to introduce our guest, the president of Winalytics, author of the Revenue Acceleration Playbook, Brent Keltner. Brent, welcome to the show. Hey, Gary. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. As we were kind of just talking a few minutes ago about some of the topics here, I, I think our our community and, and uh, listeners are going to be really excited about today. Um, but before we jump into all of that, could you uh, just give maybe a little bit of background, a little bit about your story uh, before we jump into the topics today? Yeah, my, yeah. my story, we were talking about uh, the PhD, right? At the beginning, <laughs> my story is I started out life as an academic. Um, I worked at the Rand Corporation. I was trained at Stanford, worked at the Rand Corporation. Uh, I did a lot of qualitative research um, and was also pretty good at selling stuff. Um, and so at some point after raising, you know, three and a half million in one year, and I got a 5.5% pay raise rather than a 3.5% pay raise. I said, there's got to be a better skill set, better place for this skill set. And so I went to uh, work in Kaplan, their higher education group, um, going to the dark side, as academics said. And from Kaplan, uh, then went to EduVentures, had a very quick success growing a new division, went to CollegiaLink, had a quick success as the CEO of that company exiting, went to Plus Delta Partners, helped with their growth trajectory. Uh, there was a, you know, developed this kind of growth methodology that we now call an authentic buyer journey. Um, and the funny thing about it is when I went to EduVentures, my first two revenue re leadership role, I went to all my buddies in business, tell me about go-to-market strategy, tell me about sales strategy, tell me about how you accelerate deals. I got back all these resources that were all about the product. Product positioning, competitive battle cards, pricing to close faster. I was like, where the heck is the customer in all of this and what they care about the most? So I went right back to the methodology I had developed to lead qualitative research interviews at RAND. I was working with business executives in the service industries, insurance, banking, telecom. I was an academic trained by educators, so I wanted to develop a commercial persona. So I would always just reach out with, hey, you know, this is why, what's in it for you? Why do you want to do an interview with me? And I'd share examples of peers, uh, other Chicago banks, other big telecoms we were working with, right, to build social proof and build like so, you know, they were interested. And then when I do the call, I was always kind of quick to recap and understand what they were working on, what their objective was, right, and for human capital strategy. And I was always quick to, at the end, I'd send an email recapping what we talked about, if there were any next steps with their team. Um, I took that and I then applied it with my go-to-market teams on basically, if you're going to have calls, if you're going to have interactions with a buyer, 
always anchor beginning, middle, and end on what they care about the most, and you will get more engagement. You'll get more velocity. So I took that qualitative research methodology. I turned it into a revenue methodology. I did it kind of intuitively in my revenue leadership roles, the four. At the end, I was like, hey, there's a method to this madness. So I went and started a consulting firm called Winalytics, and now we've been doing it for dozens of companies and having great success. That's awesome. So I guess the, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> yes. Cool. Well, I think um, I think that probably leads right into it then. Um, as we were kind of discussing with the authenticity thing, um, as I had mentioned when, uh, on uh, the Zach Salsmith episode, he talked about influencer marketing. And we were talking about authenticity and kind of uh, how that kind of plays a role in your brand and everything. And I'm really kind of uh, interested to talk about authenticity now as we get into that marketing and sales alignment and get into the sales side of things as well, how that all really um, helps. So, Yeah, I mean, so we when we think about authenticity, we think the starting point is a posture of empathy and a posture of service, right? It's not about you. It's about the buyer on the other side that you're working with. Like, where are they walking today? What are the things that keep them up at night? What it, what would make them more successful? So we think about, think less about your product and more about how your product drives value for your buyers and your customers in an expansion motion. Put them down into, we call them value plays, what, how, how does your product drive value for your customers? That could be increasing revenue. It could be reducing costs. It could be building efficiency in your staff or your plant. It could be changing a user experience, which builds more engagement. How does it drive value? What's the evidence in terms of your existing customers? What's the social proof right, that you're driving value? So the point of connection for us is start with your buyer. Start with being service to your buyer. Start with empathy empathy for your buyer. And then you got to do, you have to be a problem solver, right? It's really about not thinking about closing you. That's the old world of selling. It's about fit, right? Where do we have the most fit, the most alignment, whatever you want to call about it? Where do I have a problem I can solve for you where the win, the success on your side is big enough that you'll do something about it. You'll take actions to bring others in. So for us, we think about authenticity. It starts with empathy. It continues with problem solving that we are know we're trying to solve a problem together. You have a business challenge my product can solve. And it ends with this idea that at the end of inter every interaction, I'm looking for how are we doing on fit? How are we doing on alignment? Do you see the value? What actions will you take? Right? So empathy, problem solving, and fit kind of replaces this old world of I'm going to pitch to you. I'm going to uh, kind of prescriptively tell you what the right solution is, and then I'm going to close you down around that solution. Kind of that old that that old charismatic salesperson who just gets by on personality type of approach. And then look, I mean, I grew up. I'm older than you, and I grew up in that world. And part of why the reason I feel passionate about this is everybody's got to make a transition to be successful. And what's changed is the internet and social media shifted the power dynamics. The seller does not control the information anymore. They don't control the product information. They don't control the pricing information. They don't control the competitive lens. That's all out on the internet. That's on peer review sites. So <laughs> you got to show up and you got to add value 
right? Um, and you have to engage people around what they're thinking about uh, to really win in this environment. And honestly, when we talk about authenticity wins, it's you will have more success, but you'll enjoy your job more. I mean, nobody likes like the combat of people trying to avoid you, right? Or not picking up your calls or not committing to the next call. And if we start from a posture of empathy and I'm, I'm going to where are you walking today? How can I help you solve your problems? They're not going to win all our deals, but they're much more likely to give us more time to bring in other people on their side, right? To help us navigate their buying process because now we're on the same side of the table. Yeah, that that, that shift you you mentioned there, it, it really kind of stands out to me. Early in my career, I, I sold cars and it was at this kind of transition point of, you know, the old school salesperson to the everything's on the internet, all the information's there. So, you know, a customer comes in, they know more, more about the product than you do. You're just there not to really get in the way almost. Uh, and it was, it was really interesting because, you know, you've got the old school management style of, you know, they're, they're still stuck in what they learned back in the eighties. And you've got all the you know young people like me at the time are like, no, it's the internet. You know, we just, you know, we're just here to help people. And that was, that was a big culture clash at the time because it was just huge, right? Because you feel there's a, if you're raising that old school, you feel a loss of control. Well, I used to be in charge <laughs> and now you're really more of service. And we do, we have worked with a couple of companies that sell into the dealer space. Uh, and it's all, I mean, I think your instinct is right. It's like buyers show up and you're like, Hey, I know you've done a ton of research, anything jump out at you, anything that brought you to our dealership today. Right. And boom, they're talking about why they're there. And now we can align to that. Yeah, absolutely. So I know one of the things you mentioned then is marketing and sales alignment. And I think that I would, I would love to kind of hear more about your take on that because I, I think so many times that those are just almost two completely separate departments that really don't even talk to each other at so many organizations. Yeah, hundred percent. And one of the reasons we we do work, as I mentioned, on this is what what are your value plays? How do you drive value for your buyer, and how would you know it? One of the great things about doing that work is it makes it those handoffs easier because now it's not the buyer navigating our organization; it's us figuring out how to connect the buyer to the next stage around what they value. And so, there's a story in the book we tell um, about a company, uh, Serify. Uh, Adams Ellingson, who's the executive vice president of sales there, and th they work on series six, series seven, and the CFP licensures, right? And they sell them to corporations. I, I love the story because when he started the interview we did for the book, he said, we focus the entire buyer journey, right? From the landing on the website, through to the sales, through to the upsell motion on two questions. What's your success rate today in terms of your pass rate on those exams? And how could your success rate go higher. And they have some specific probes. Is it the content? Is it the individualization of learning? Is it another area? But what's great about the idea is that value here is all around helping you graduate, have more people on your financial team pass that exam rate. How can we work on it? So now if you know what that's the value, literally when you hit the web page, they're already sort of asking you those questions. Where are you trying to take around? Which license exam are you in trying to increase your um, success rates? And have you thought about, is it 
the, the right content or is it the delivery modality or is it the you know individualization of learning? And so now they've already educated for the sales conversation. People are just probing on the information you've already shared. Take me deeper. What would be success for you? Uh, the expansion team, the success team coming back to those same questions as a way of, okay, maybe we started with one division of your company. Can we move over to a second division? Is there a need to increase pass rates? So when you think about buyer value, and again, it could go back to, um, you know, uh, it, it could it could go back to pass rates or it could go back, that's a user experience, could be just, you know, how well are you leveraging your staff, right? How well are you leveraging your advisors, your financial service advisor in this case. Um, but it, once you capture those value plays, now it brings that marketing sales and success better into alignment. That's, that's great. Um, so I know another thing you'd kind of mentioned then is kind of anchoring that buyer value. Yeah, and, and we talk all the time about um, a success statement, right? That the goal of discovery, I think there's so much uh, kind of superficial or we call it shallow discovery. All salespeople have heard about uh, customer-centric selling or value-based selling or whatever. So everybody starts with questions now. And questions are great, um, but really what you want to do, we think about is ask follow-on questions around, okay, you're working on a certain area. What would get you, um, what's keeping you from what would make you successful there? Like what's, do you have any capability gaps that would lead you to be more successful? Where are you between your ideal, your current state and your ideal state? What would be a win? Like getting the buyer to articulate not just what they're working on, but what would make them successful? in pursuit of that goal, getting to a success statement, anchoring on that across the entire arc of the deal. So let me give you a specific example of, uh, in the book, another story is a company called Wisps that has a natural food uh, cheese crisp snack. Uh, I had worked with Alana Fisher at Edge Ventures. She's a whip smart, um, kind of Columbia MBA, went to Bain, I reconnected with her. I was just curious, like, why was somebody that, that smart going to the natural food industry? And for her, it was that she saw an opportunity by anchoring on value to drive a very different growth trajectory, right? She said, most natural food products, people show up and it's like, blah, blah, blah. Hey, highest quality product, you know, baked with love, natural ingredients. And she said, we show up and we talk about are you interested in making more money with your shelf space? You have a certain amount of shelf space. Are you interested in kind of getting better utilization of those shelf space? And how could we help you with that? So the question they start in discovery is, you know, what would be, you know, how can you better use your product to get the right product on the shelf to move more product? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that in your natural ingredients area? And so what they're trying to do is get, somebody to articulate what would be a win in terms of better use utilizing their shelf space. And then it's, yeah, you know, we have a goal of increasing by this much. Okay. That's the buyer success statement. My follow-up email is going to anchor on that. When I go to a next meeting with the, the merchandising manager and their boss about moving around, it's, Hey, remember we agreed, this isn't about 
WISP product. This is about how much your goals for moving more product from your shelf. We had agreed that you're interested in getting 10% more sales out of your natural food product shelves. We think we have a strategy for helping you to do that by co-merchandising, et cetera. So we, we identify what the win is, the success statement. We try and quantify it as possible. And then ideally, we ask people to invest in that success statement. So if we identify, quantify, then the, when we ask for the pricing, it's not just another budget line item. It's an investment in something they've already said they care about. So that's what we think about anchoring on the success statement, anchoring on the payoff. That's kind of the, the motion we want to describe. And how do you kind of go about that initial part of finding that initial kind of success statement or identifying the right questions to ask at the beginning of that? Because uh, this is a pretty, that's a pretty big shift in that past example from your typical, you know, natural foods, you know, like you said, baked with love versus no, would you, would you like to get more revenue from the shelf space? That's a, that's, that, that would never even occurred to me as a, a way to do it. So I'm curious how you work with your clients to identify those shifts. Yeah. And so this is where the, when you think of a value plan, I've said it a few things, just think about what your product, what business outcome does it drive? So I mentioned the dealer and you started as a car, car working a car dealer chip. I mean, you could think about this as a marketing automation tool, one current client, uh, Activator Dealer Solutions. And so they can clean your data, right? So you're not now marketing to a bunch of people that no longer have a car from your dealership. You're not marketing them to service. Um, or they have much more targeted campaigns, right? To go to different demographics and different ages. Um, if they get start to get a hook, okay, yeah, we don't cleanse our data enough or our marketing isn't targeted or we can't follow the VIN to know who still owns that vehicle. Okay, great. You got a gap now. What business problem would that help you accomplish, right? Because the interest is, so would that help you get more service customers in? Would that help you with your sales on, would that help you build more qualified leads to your salespeople on the, the shop floor? Would that help you build your efficiencies and your marketing system? So you got to think about the value, your product, what business outcomes does it drive for your buyer? and be intentional about making those linkages. Is it about dollars? Is it about cost savings? Is it about often a lot of products, it's just helping staff do something more efficiently, right? An advisor, a teacher, rather than 10 students in the same amount of time can respond to 30 students. Uh, conversational AI products, we've worked with those in higher ed, we've worked those in call centers. It's about scaling. You have so many call center operators. How many people can you interact with in a personalized way in the same amount of time? So I think it's about connecting your product. Product gaps that you can fill are great. Okay. And how would that make you a hero to your boss? What business problem would that help us solve together? That's very... Does that help answer the yeah. question? It, it does. And, and, you know, as you're talking about that, uh, it made me start thinking about, you know, just the, even the data cleanliness thing that all the all the complaints, you know, the business development center would get if we did a big, you know, outreach campaign to past customers, you know, the first day, you know, the first 20 people who respond, hey, I don't have this car anymore. Yeah, you take me off your list because, you know, we sold that, you know, two years ago, you know, I talked to you six months ago and told you the same thing. Why am I still on your list? 
And, you know, you're like, gosh, how can we get this data cleaner? So, yeah, trying, you know, really thinking about certain pain points to the right person. Now, would the general manager have cared about that? No. Would the business development manager have cared about, you know, that particular statement? Absolutely. Because that's that's their pain point. But it wouldn't have been to, you know, the owner, obviously. He doesn't care at all. Doesn't matter to him at all. He just wants to know what the numbers are. Right. And and so, I mean, I love the way you're just thinking about that in real time. It's, all right, we got a data cleansing issue. Who does that cause a pain for? Well, the BDC, the business development manager, right? His people are now getting complaints. They're wasting time responding. They're going to the wrong leads. So they're operating a lot less efficiently. But if we play that out, if they're go- calling on the wrong people, probably over time that contributes to less sales. Hey, Mr. General Manager, I just talked to your business development manager on the opportunity to give him higher quality leads, spend less time working them. Do you think that could help with your overall sales number? So I think what you said is product capability questions are great. Let's, why does that matter to somebody? How does that kind of roll up to affect their, you know, the business outcomes that they care about? Um, because a lot of times when we ask for dollars, uh, if it's just a product substitute, switching this thing for another thing, it's less compelling than, hey, this could save you money. Hey, this could help your staff be 20% more efficient. Hey, this could um, help you drive more incremental revenue that that makes it a lot easier for people to make an investment that's that's awesome so i when you're kind of saying you help the sales teams with performance by by 20 percent is it really just by kind of refining these these targets and these value these these win uh, authenticity wins i believe is what you call them uh to really just get better more more effective conversations and with people yeah, I mean, there are two, two things, right, that we find is when you think about starting with what they care about the most and and what, you know, what would success be for them? Uh, and as we finish on that, we always encourage people to develop your own version of this, of what would success be. There's lots of ways to ask it, right? What would your touchdown dance be? If we could work together on that, what would your touchdown dance be? What would get you <laughs> dancing in the end zone? What would make you a hero to your boss? Right. Or one really high performing seller, I'd ask, she said, we develop, we show them all of our capabilities. And then I say, and if I can wave a magic wand and you had this in six to 12 months, what problems would it solve for you? And people will immediately answer, I would do this, that, or the other thing that I'm not doing now. So think about everybody should have those success questions. Like if we were to work together, how would it make you more successful? right? How to make you a hero, how to get you dancing in the end zone, how to build an ROI case. What if you could do 5% more of that? What would that be worth? Could it avoid a risk, right? So just think about your success questions. That gets the buyer to lean in. And then the second thing is, at the end, you just have to get the buyers. This is what I heard would make you successful, that I hear that right. And what you, what are you willing to do next, Mr. or Mrs. Buyer? What actions are you going to take to realize that value? So it's engaging more, but then it's qualifying at the end. Who actually cares? Who cares enough enough to take actions? When we work with sales teams, 30 to 35%, we start to do this exercise of what have they committed to doing next? 30 to 35% of deals, total drift mode. 
because we never asked them to do anything. So it's hopeful selling as opposed to, you know, we got to the end of the call. They agreed to bring their manager in. They agreed to prioritize against the three things we identified. They agreed to look at their budget. They agreed to review some content. Um, you know, some great sales teams now, they won't engage the next call until you've confirmed, yeah, I looked at that two-minute video snippet. These are the things that we should spend our next meeting on. What did they agree to do next before our next meeting, before I agree to spend time? So long answer to deal velocity comes around a higher engagement and better qualification. They see value. They will take actions to realize that value. I, I I love that. I think that's brilliant, especially kind of essentially getting them to envision the success in their mind and already, you know, basically in that in their mind, they're already they have it. So now now they just want that that clear path to get there for if you're listening at home, go back two minutes. If you if you didn't take notes on that, write that down, because that was that's some uh, some brilliant stuff there, Brent. Thank you for for sharing that with uh, with everybody. Well, I appreciate that. What they should write down is what you said, because you captured it much more succinctly. Help them envision their success. Help them envision their success and write down what they say in their words. That's how the anchoring idea you you raised. If they can share their success in their words, anchor the whole deal on that. That's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this stuff. So I guess if somebody wants more information about this, because it, it's... You've got got some pretty pretty uh, brilliant concepts here. Where should we send them? Uh, where where should they go to learn more about uh, what what you do and how you can help them? Yeah, so I'll, I will offer two two websites. Um, first one, authenticitywins.com. If you go there, you can actually download the the forward from David Meerman Scott, noted marketing and growth author. He's my book coach, uh, and the first chapter of the book for free. So you can just get more of a taste of the work we do and how we got to this point. Um, and then if they want to come to winalytics.com, uh, that's W-I-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S.com. You can find out more about us um, and some of these concepts we've been talking about. You can reach out to me directly or you can just submit a, we do complimentary growth diagnostics for people that we'll just do an interview of like, which of the, do you have your value plays in place? Have you connected that to prospecting? Have you connected that to sales? So we can do a complimentary diagnostic to see if there's things we can help them with. And if, if not, people always take away a lot of value from this. So those would be my two recommendations. Well, excellent. I will make sure we put both of those in the show notes. So authenticitywins.com for a free chapter of the book and uh, winalytics.com for a complimentary diagnostic. Exactly. All right. Well, Brent, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was, was great. I think you dropped some real wisdom for people and uh, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to have you come on, uh, on again sometime soon. So. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love that. And thank you for a lot of great questions. You, uh, you lead really well in these <laughs> forums and I'll uh, maybe we'll, after the book comes out in April, we can do a reprise. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to, I'd love to hear how the book launch goes and I'm sure our audience at home would as well. So. Excellent, Gary. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Brent. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Pipelineology podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to seeing you on the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.